Everything's Everything. I am one of your hosts, Karen Frazier, and with me as always, my friend, Cheryl Knight-Wilson. Hey, Cheryl, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Good. I'm super excited because we actually have a friend of mine on the show today. I mean, we have a lot of friends on the show, and so this is somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time, but I know that you wrote an introduction and his book is just a little tricky to pronounce. So I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that landmine up to you. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. I'm also excited to talk to our guest today and let me just give you a little intro and then he can, he can tell us more, but our guest tonight is Jay Allen Cross. He is a practicing witch of Mexican, Native American and European descent whose craft was shaped by his Catholic upbringing and mixed family culture. Living in his home state of Oregon, he works as a psychic medium and occult specialist for a well-known paranormal team out of the Portland metro area. And when he's not investigating, he enjoys providing spells and potions to his local community, exploring haunted and abandoned places, working as a consultant for other workers and investigators and writing about witchcraft. And we will talk with him tonight about his book, which is American Bruja Reja, Modern Mexican-American Folk Magic. Welcome, Joshua. Hi, thank you guys for having me. And I also have to say, Joshua is the person that when I get the really, really weird emails, <laughs> that's who I send them to. <laughs> Do you remember that one from a couple of years ago? And you were yes. like, well, I don't know about this. <laughs> You're like, there's a video attached. And I'm like, oh, no, that's when you know it's real bad. Well, I believe at the time we were sitting in a bar trying to watch the video. So I think that that was part of the whole thing. <laughs> so, Indeed. Do I, dare, do I dare ask what the video was? Oh, it was, I think it was a hoax. Isn't that what we kind of decided? It was, yeah, because it was, it was very, very dramatic and, yeah. but they never actually showed the person. It was a lot of like weird growling sounds. Um, yeah. Aha, gotcha. All righty. But the, was, those are the ones they usually send me. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, I, I'll get something like that. I don't get them very often because I, be, and and so Joshua is one of the people that when I get those, I'm like, um, yeah, this is way out of my depth. So here you go. <laughs> I do all the sunshine and light stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, that kind of tends to be my job on the team as well. They're kind of be like, you know, there's some earthbound spirits up here. I'm going to hang out there. Satan is in the basement. So we'll send Josh there. And I'm like, thanks on it. I'm gotcha. <laughs> nice. It's uh, nice to have somebody like that in your life. Let me tell you. <laughs> Happy to be of service. <laughs> well, I actually, I need some of your um, American brujeria for because we have like this really weird we have a contractor's building you've probably seen me gripe about it on Facebook <laughs> on the lot next door and they are just absolutely trampling on our property right so I even actually thought about going out and just like um, making it look like I like drawn pentagrams on the on the driveway and putting <laughs> candles in the middle of it because <laughs> <laughs> you know, for that, what I would recommend is if you mix up a little bit of rock salt uh -huh. with some cayenne pepper and believe it or not, oregano, I think it might do the trick because oregano, a lot of people don't know this, but oregano is very good at keeping away um, like meddling or troublesome individuals. This includes like nosy neighbors, people trampling on your lawn, sprinkle just a little bit of that in your front yard okay. with just that intention of the stay off my area. 
and okay. I think you might be surprised. Okay, so it has to be rock salt, though. It can't be like Himalayan pink salt or something like that. Um, it could be, but I feel like that's too nice. Okay, so yeah. rock salt, oregano, and cayenne pepper in any in any proportion that I feel like mixing it together, huh? Yeah. Excellent. See, Cheryl. Now, what yeah. what what problem do you need solved? <laughs> Seriously, I, I I try that, but. I have a dog problem with a neighbor's dog roaming around in my yard, but I don't want to like hurt the dog. I just want to like have it not go to the bathroom in the yard. <laughs> oh, yeah. So for that, uh, you could work with St. Francis of Assisi. They're a patron saint of animals. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, See. So I think that let's let's start there because Cheryl said something <laughs> that I think is a common misconception about people who do magical work. That is that the magical work they're doing is dark magic. So mm -hmm. Josh, do you, um, and I think I know the answer to this, but do you uh, work within the Wiccan, is it the read, R-E-D-E, -E, the three times and you only do good or it comes back to you threefold or? Um, I not necessarily to that um, exact proportion on it. I don't think it's anything is quite that simple when it comes to cosmic laws, you know, karma, all this stuff. Um, I don't think anything's quite cut and dried, but I do have kind of an, a spiritual ethical system for what type of magic I choose to use and when. Okay, so how does somebody who is getting started out, how do they find out about like a magical or an ethical system for magic? Because I, I think having an ethical system is important and that you work within your own ethics, whatever those are. So how does somebody mm -hmm. sort of start to develop a baseline for that? Oh, I always tell people to start off in Wicca just simply because it has the ethics kind of built in. And so you get used to working your magic with this idea of, you know, trying not to do any sort of harm as much as possible. But I, I understand it's kind of out of fashion these days and people want, you know, more exciting whatever at the moment. Um, but I think it kind of comes down to the person and also understanding spiritual laws. So the way I go about it is, is there's justified work and then there's unjustified work. And when you do unjustified work, when you're just being malicious, when you're just causing trouble, um, then you yourself will often find yourself in trouble too, because that's when people's guardians will step in. That's when people's ancestors will get involved to defend people. And that can get pretty hairy pretty quickly. But if if you're doing something that the person genuinely deserves and genuinely has coming to them, then I find a lot of the time that their kind of protectors sort of sometimes just kind of let it happen because they're like, this is a lesson they need to learn. Here you go. Um, and then and then it's, it's a little more okay in that one. But you always have to make sure that you're being absolutely fair and that your work is truly justified. Otherwise, then I do think there's all kinds of pitfalls that you can run into. Sure. So do you do primarily the brujeria or do you kind of do like, so I know with the, the kind of the spiritual magic kind of stuff I do, right? The healing stuff. Mm -hmm. It is just, I pull from anything. Do mm -hmm. you have like, do you specifically do the brujeria or do you pull from other things as well? 
So I often describe what I do as post-colonial North American folk magic, which sounds really fancy, but it just means I collect rocks and dirt and stuff. Um, so I, I pull from all over. So I have background um, working with the hoodoo system. I do not claim to be a hoodoo practitioner, but um, I do have um, experience with the conjure tra tradition. And I'm very much fascinated by North American folk magic. Um, things like Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic is absolutely beautiful. And I think everybody should kind of study it at least once. But the bulk of my work is in kind of Southwest America, um, where we find something that I, I call American Brujeria, which is um, the folk magic that is being practiced by Mexican Americans who are living in the United States. So how did you actually get interested in this line of study? Uh, by accident, to be honest. Um, this work kind of has a way of finding its way into the hands of uh, Latinx youth right now, especially uh, young Mexican-American people who are really trying to kind of reclaim their ancestry and their connection to it. Um, a lot of us feel very Americanized uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but at the same time, we are kind of an island unto ourselves. So we're we're not quite fully American, but we're also not really Mexican anymore. Um, and so whenever you have kind of a community that's isolated in that manner, we kind of tend to develop our own ways of doing things. And this includes our own version of folk magic. Um, and so a lot of us kind of just accidentally find ourselves doing it. And I didn't even realize I was necessarily doing it until the book came up. Someone was like, well, you should write about brujeria. And traditional brujeria, like the way that it's known in Mexico, um, is very, very different than what we're doing in the United States. And so I'm like, I don't know anything about that. However, I'm noticing me and all the other people kind of in my demographic work a specific way. And then that's how I kind of coined American brujeria, because we often call it that as sort of a, a joke. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And how does that compared to American conjure? Uh, they're very similar. Um, because anytime you take, you know, indigenous populations with really strong spiritual beliefs, whether it was, you know, um, the African-American or the Africans that were brought over to the United States um, that developed, you know, hoodoo in the deep South. Um, whenever you, you take you know, indigenous peoples like them or, or like us who are already here in the kind of Mexico area. And then you bring Christianity and you set it on top of it. Weird stuff is always going to happen. <laughs> and we're all going to have to kind of learn to sneak all of our stuff into the new system. Um, and so we're, we're a lot alike in a lot of ways. And the fact that we are both using Christianity as a vehicle for our magic um, is is what makes us the most similar. Um, Southern conjure tends to be more Protestant, whereas um, Mexican folk magic is very heavily Catholic. So there's there's some differences there as far as, you know, the Catholic uh, works with a lot more saints. Um, but at the same time, conjure tradition will do that as well because we share with one another and we're geographically very close to each other being in the South as well. So there is a lot of overlap between, you know, Southern conjure and what we're calling American Brujeria. How about um, Santeria? Oh yeah, um, Santeria is, it's different. That's mostly found in kind of the, uh, the Caribbean, especially in like uh, Cuba, Puerto Rico, um, those areas will have a lot of it. Um, but that's coming from a completely 
different continents. So if we're if we're looking at the Mexican folk magic, that's all from you know the um, you know Southwest Native Americans and then down into Mexico. Um, okay. But then if we are doing the Centeria, then that's from Africa. And, and Centeria comes from, ooh, oh, it's in my brain. You pull it out. I know you can. Oh, gosh. Oh, God, because everyone's been obsessed with it lately. Um, it, it will hit me in about two seconds. Someone's, <laughs> someone's typing it into an email to you guys right now. Um, but uh, so Centeria comes from um, a, a specific place in Africa. Okay. And then it's those traditions that are brought over and then kind of syncretized with some Catholicism. But a lot of people get us confused because we'll both work with saints. But when you work with saints in Santeria, they are African spirits in disguise. When we work with them in, in Mexican folk, in Mexican American folk magic, they're the actual Catholic saints. <laughs> huh. So they're African, wait, say that again. They're what in disguise? Oh, so um, so when they brought over the slaves from Africa, I, it's not Nigeria, it's- um, Is it Guyana? No, 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 no. No, no. Hold on, we're gonna Google it real quick. Isn't that nice that you've got that right at your fingertips? Me too. That's awesome. Uh, because. I would forget and I would like, if I didn't have Google, I would wake up every morning at like 3 a.m. remembering the word that I hadn't, I couldn't come up with, so. I found it, okay. okay. So um, so Santeria is from a place called Yoruba where they practice something called Ifa. And when they came over to the Caribbean kind of Central America area, they were forced to become Catholic because that was all Spanish. Well, they already had all of these gods and they called them the Orisha. Okay. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting this all right. I am not a Santeria practitioner. So if you are a Santeria practitioner listening to this, I apologize. But um, so they had to hide the spirits that they wanted to worship in something that oh. they were allowed to worship. So um, for instance, you have uh, Chango, which is an Orisha, um, very known for kind of being uh, very involved with like storms and like thunder and lightning and kind of um, very kind of Thor-like yeah. is then synchronized as St. Barbara, um, patron saint of, of like lightning strikes and demolitions and um, her story involves lightning in it. Um, so we, so they just call it the saint, but they're really meaning an African spirit. Whereas in what I do, when I'm calling on St. Barbara, I'm calling on St. Barbara, not okay. something in disguise. Does that, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, you know what I, it kind of made me think of as you were talking about it is like taking the pagan festivals and turning them into Christian holidays, kind of that same. Yeah, very similar, yes. Got it, that makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense to me. Um, hmm. So then in, I'm going to, I'm going to say it wrong. And I'm so sorry. Brujeria. Is that, was it? Brujeria. Because it's on, the Ia is the accent, right? So Brujeria. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, sorry. Anyway, I forgot. I got so caught up in the pronunciation. I forgot what I was going to ask you. So, so tell me some of the, the principles of, of American Brujeria. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I like to say that kind of the the power comes from these three places or that these are kind of like the three pillars of this work, but they're um, our faith, uh, the earth, and tradition. And how those all kind of work is when we look at the Mexican people and their descendants here in the United States, we tend to be um, very spiritual, um, tend to be very Catholic. We are very big believers. Um, you know, we were all taught to pray the rosary. I mean, spirituality is a very big part of Mexican life. And our vehicle for that tends to be Catholicism. So going to church, lighting candles, getting to know saints um, and believing very, very strongly in these forces like God and Guadalupe and Mary and these things, um, this very intense faith is a huge source of power uh, for our people. Uh, I, there is something very different for me when I go to a Spanish mass than when I go into an English mass, um, because when I go into the Spanish ones around here, it's standing room only, people are kneeling on the ground, um, praying, like their lives depend on it. The connection is, is so strong. Um, so that's one of the main pillars is gonna be the faith. And then we have the earth, which provides, um, you know, really important things for our culture, things like corn, um, things like, you know, plants that we use in our uh, spells, which we call hechizos, and our cleansings, which we call limpias. Um, these are all things that are provided by the earth. And the earth is very important to kind of the ancient people that we come from. And then the last one is, is tradition because these things that we do are passed down. You know, we do the cleansing of somebody with an egg because that's the way our parents taught us and that's the way their parents taught them and so on and so forth. And so when we do it the same way that our family does it, then it's not just us doing it, right? It's, it's our mother's doing it and their mother and you know, your great grandfather and his uncle and everyone that kind of formed that line down to you. So those are kind of the main three things that sort of form this craft and hold it together. So if somebody like me, who quite frankly has a very, 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 and I could keep adding varies, white <laughs> European background. Um, I mean, I am like Sweden and Norway and Luxembourg <laughs> and, you know, and all of those things. So if I want to practice this type of magic, first of all, is that appropriate or do I need to find my own kind of magic? I, um, <laughs> the, the way I, I talk about this in the book is I say, you know, are, are people who are, who are not of Mexican descent welcome? And the answer is yes. However, we need to have a conversation. Um, I, I do think that it's absolutely fine if people from outside the community want to come in and practice this, as long as they have you know, respect for the work, respect for the people, and they follow the traditions. Where we run into problems is when people come in from outside of a community, decide that they want to use the spells and, and, and do the practice, but they want to you know, flagrant, uh, fragrantly, dis fragrantly, that's it. That's not the word. Flagrantly. There we go. They also probably go. smell very nice while they do it as well, but uh, we're going for <laughs> flagrantly. Um, disregarding tradition, um, you know, special rules, you know, they feel are made for them. And uh, 
it, it turns into kind of a big mess. Um, but I, I don't think there's a problem if we come into it and, you know, have respect and we follow the traditions and abide by all the rules that have been set forth in that tradition. Just like if we were going to join, you know, um, classical Wicca or if we were going to, you know, do our Reiki training, you know, there are traditions that are set up there that we would want to follow as part of that. Yeah, I mean, and, and you bring up a good point because I am also not Asian and yet I practice a Japanese form of energy healing. So yeah, mm -hmm. that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so it wouldn't be looked on necessarily because I, I actually spent a lot of time before I started teaching and writing about Reiki thinking, am I culturally appropriating in some way? But Reiki has become so Americanized in the last mm -hmm. so many years. But brujeria is not necessarily something that's, I mean, it's been Americanized in the Latinx community. Mm -hmm but not, and so is it, so if I went out and said, well, hey, I'm author Karen Frazier and I'm gonna write a book about this, wouldn't there be some sense of cult cultural appropriation there? <laughs> because I, I, you know. Well, yeah, especially once we introduce the, the book aspect. So yeah. what I always say as far as cultural appropriation is concerned, um, if, if we are unsure if what we're about to do is cultural appropriation or not, I always say to ask three questions. And the first question is, does this make me money? Am I profiting off of somebody else's culture? And is it not helping them at the same time? So um, like if you, if you run like an occult store and you are selling white sage, but you're buying it from your local Native American person who grew it themselves and the money's going to them. Like, that's a different story. But if you just open up your own, you know, brujeria store or something like that, um, then we get into kind of this cultural appropriation land. So we always ask the first one, which is, does it make me money? Am I profiting off of somebody else's culture? And then the second one is, am I taking up space? Um, you know, it, things like, um, teaching positions or writing books, things like that. Because that's been something, especially in our culture as Latinx people, all of the books, the very few books that have come out about our cultural practices are mostly written by people from outside of the community. And the problem with that is that they tend to get the details wrong. Or when they go to people and ask them um, to teach them about it, people lie to them because they don't want to kind of divulge these secrets to people who aren't part of the community. So we end up getting a lot of misinformation that way. So, you know, things like, you know, teaching positions, um, you know, writing books on the topic, things like that tends to need to be um, done by people within the community. And the third one is, does it erase culture? You know, like, so if you were to, you know, write a book that um, completely changes the rules of Reiki, right? Like if, if you if you wrote a book that says that Reiki comes from Canada and is the um and is comes from the Mormon church um <laughs> and did that that would be a problem right because then that would start erasing culture and erasing history um so yeah. those are kind of the ones that I tell people just to sort of watch out for. Um, but I do think that at this point Reiki has become very Americanized to the point where we almost have completely separate traditions happening. And I would be interested to see if kind of what we have going on now would kind of split off and where that would go. Cause we're kind of at a point anyway, where we could do that, which would be interesting, I don't know. 
Yeah, I know. Well, I teach a very, you're right. I mean, I teach the most Americanized version. I teach the version of Reiki that was actually intentionally brought into the United States. So right. absolutely. Yeah. And, and there are Japanese versions of Reiki and I do not go there. I don't because yeah. I, I wouldn't. So mm-hmm. I just think that those questions are, are, are always really interesting. Um, and especially in the context of, you know, in the United States where we, we have this, this population of people that are practicing the brujeria and and at what point is it so practicing is okay but if they start to change their traditions um, or take work away from people who are traditional practitioners is that kind of what I am I interpreting you correctly yeah basically like you shouldn't necessarily be competition and you shouldn't be in the way and you shouldn't be harming as kind of just the the major tenants there. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Works for me. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Carol. I know you probably have lots of questions. Well, I'm wondering how Karen touched on this earlier. And honestly, when I said I about the dog, the dog thing, that I, the problem that I have with my yard and all that, oh, yeah. I wasn't trying to say that the practice would hurt the dog. I just meant I don't want like a substance, like him to eat the substance or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. there, that is, you addressed this before, but I, about the, the the misconceptions about uh, Brujeria. And I was wondering, are there others out there that we should be aware of? Oh, absolutely. So the, the, it, it's a good thing that you bring this up. So, um, so when I talk about the work that I do, I do, of course, I do American Brujeria. I do kind of the, the Mexican-American version, um, which is very, very different from real Mexican Brujeria. Real Mexican brujeria is very, very powerful and it is very forceful and it tends to be very dark and heavy magic. Um, There's this thing that's happening in the United States where we're needing to kind of sanitize everything and say that everything is misunderstood and it's really all love and light. Um, Brujeria is is not a love and light practice. Um, there, There is some healing that can be done there, of course, um, but it is not necessarily a healing modality. It is there for survival and it is there to make things happen. Um, in Brujeria, we have very powerful spells that um, borderline on mind control and puppetry. It's, it's very um, scary magic if it was going to fall into someone else's hands or just into some unfortunate person's hand, which is why it's so secret. There are almost zero resources out there for teaching it. It's mostly kept in the family and passed down. Um, Sometimes it's taught to, you know, friends or sometimes people will teach, um, but for the most part, it's kept almost completely under wraps. Um, So right now what we're seeing in the United States is some books coming out or or, or some articles coming out about how brujeria and Wicca are the same things or that brujeria is just misunderstood healing magic. And this isn't entirely accurate. People in Mexico are very afraid of brujas and brujos for a reason. These were people, and even in researching my book, modern day people were like, yeah, my grandma told me about the day that she saw somebody fly. Or um, my uncle told me about his friend and he watched him turn into a jaguar. Like this magic is very, very powerful. So it's not something that we mess with so much. And it's not really something that we just put in books and throw out there. So it's it's not something that we're going to find so much, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
So have you yeah, done anything yeah, totally. in, in the practice that you've surprised yourself and been like, holy crap, I didn't know I could do that? Um, not so much because I don't, I don't practice that kind. Um, I, I have no ways of doing so. I would have to become fluent in Spanish, move to Mexico, and then be lucky enough to find a teacher. It's that elusive. Um, in, in what I do, what we call American Brujeria, is, you know, this Mexican-American folk Catholicism where we're lighting, you know, novenas to saints and things. And that has surprised me, though. Um, especially when COVID hit and then we had to move all of our paranormal stuff to doing it remote. And, you know, our team is, is very focused on resolving hauntings and kind of getting them fixed up. And so we had to learn how to do that from a distance. And so that required a lot of getting to know certain saints, um, getting certain favors um, and working magic in new ways in order to do that. And that has been very surprising, the fact that we've been able to be successful at all. <laughs> so what are some of the most common American Brujeria practices? Hmm. So we do a lot of novena candle magic. So novenas are the, um, the seven day candles, the, the tall glass ones. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our magic centers around that because it's heavily Catholic. It's something that we have a lot of access to. Um, we are used to lighting a tall candle and saying a prayer and asking for something to happen as just an everyday activity. It's just what you do. Um, in, in Catholicism, we're always told, you know, you don't bother Jesus, you just, you, you go to the saint in charge of whatever's giving you trouble and, and start there. And so it's, it's a very natural act for us. But to a lot of people, that's, you know, witchcraft, that's magic, you know, you're saying a prayer, you're lighting a candle, and then something happens. Um, so that's one of the kind of the main things for that. And as well as um, we do something called um, limpias, which are like cleansings. And that's normally done by a curandero or a curandera in, in Mexico. But when we immigrate to the United States, there are curanderos that do live in the United States, but they're much harder to find, much harder. And so we had to start doing those ourselves. And so we had to start learning to do our own kind of spiritual cleansing work um, to, you know, break hexes and take off, you know, mal de ojo, you know, which is the evil eye and um, all kinds of things like that. So we had to take that work into our own hands. And that's something that you'll see probably most is like saints, novena candle work and um, the limpias. So you so mentioned something about, oh, go ahead, Cheryl, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, sorry, just one more question real quick. So is there like a book of spells or a book of rituals that you that you consult or is that your own personal type of thing that you create? Uh, we do indeed consult um, a very, very old text for this work. Um, it's the Bible and that throws people off a lot. Fair <laughs> um, enough. But, you know, uh, the Bible is a spell book. That whole book of Psalms is real witchy. And uh, there's... Well, I'm going to go back and read it now and, and see if I can figure out what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. No, like the whole first page of the Bible is super pagan. Like God refers to itself in plural and in both the masculine and the feminine. I'm like, God just referred to itself as us and we which like, let's just start there. And then they go over astrology. It says that God put um, stars in the skies so that people could see the signs and like learn things. And I'm like, well, that's astrology. And then they talk about the fish coming out of the sea and being on the land. And I'm like, well, there's evolution. So I don't know if I'm reading the wrong Bible, but I'm seeing a lot of different stuff in here. 
Oh, you know, I haven't read the Bible in years. I'll be real honest with you, but now I think I may have to go do a little reading again. So. Right. And they give like recipes for oils and things like that. It's all, it's, it's got more magic than a Tolkien novel. I love it. <laughs> so you mentioned something, Josh, about like cleanses with eggs. Oh yeah. Tell me about that. Oh, totally. Um, so that is something called a limpia con huevo, which is uh, like a cleansing with an egg. And the egg is a, is a vessel and it's also a sacrifice. So way back in the day, um, how this started was you would originally take a chicken and you would rub someone from the top of their head down to take off, you know, whatever is on them. If it was a curse or a hex or an illness, um, you would do chicken? that. Yeah. Okay. And then you would kill the chicken. Oh, but then, you know, the Spanish Catholics that got here, they weren't into that so much. Uh, and, you know, we kind of tend to streamline things as, as the times evolve. So that ended up kind of eventually coming down to using an egg instead. It's a, a less messy. Uh, and so the idea is that you take the egg and then you kind of start at the top of the head and sweep in a downward fashion. There's a whole um, genre of cleansings that we call baritas, which means um, sweeps. And you can do this with bundles of herbs, or you can do them with um, eggs or um, lemons, limes, onions, garlic. You can do it with all kinds of stuff. I, in, in the research, I heard of somebody using a boot. It does happen. Um, but the idea is that you're just using it as a vessel to transfer whatever is on the person and get it off of them. And then when we use the egg, um, a lot of Mexican healing is set up to also be divinatory work. So when you're finished kind of rubbing them down with the egg, pulling off whatever's on them, you then crack the egg into a glass of water. And depending on what the egg does in the glass of water, um, you can tell a lot of things, um, whether or not you picked up that they had the evil eye or that there was um, you know, witchcraft on them, or if they just had internalized bullying from childhood even will show up in the egg. So it's kind of like um, in candle magic, the way when the wax melts in certain ways, even though the candle magic, the purpose is something else, the wax melt tells you things. So it's similar to that. Absolutely. And even in candle magic too, it's really common for people to take um, either white candles or black candles and sort of like run them through their aura or like across, you know, the back of their neck or something like that to like take something off and then they burn the candle to get rid of it. And it's a very similar process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I use mostly I use candles when I'm doing psychic readings because mm -hmm. I, I use a purple candle and it, it helps me to focus or whatever. So, mm -hmm. but I have a friend who does a lot of candle magic and she always sending me like, look at what the wax did. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your work with white light. Um, you guys are, yeah. have you, you guys really haven't had a lot of cases probably because of the uh, whole Rona thing, huh? We've been surprisingly busy. Really? Yeah, but it's just, it's the few of us that are kind of still working remotely on that, but yeah. we, the uh, the paranormal did not take a break when everything else shut no. down. So Seth has been working his tail off and he's doing an excellent job. Yeah. He's been helping people over the phone for months. And then if he's having trouble, then he sends, you know, he sends me a message and then we kind of team up on it and we have a couple others who are still working on it but it's it's been busy still yeah well i know my upstairs trust me has been a little busy so i get it yeah um so i'm one of the things i like about what you guys do at white light 
-hmm. is that there is a paranormal investigation element of it mm -hmm. and then the mediums come in so can mm -hmm. you kind of explain to people what you do because i really think that you guys actually genuinely help your clients and the spirits as opposed to just going in and satisfying your own curiosity mm -hmm. Absolutely. I am so blessed to be part of White Light uh, because they're they're all about what I'm all about. And that's just, you don't get that every day. And I love that. But um, it's the, we have two very kind of distinct sides. And then that's, you know, you're talking about the investigative side and then kind of our spiritual side. And I guess they're not that distinct. We all kind of blend a little bit on the team. But um uh, but, you know, people can get full service from us. A lot of times people will want an investigation so that they can get proof that, you know, they're not making this up or they're not crazy. You know, if one of our wonderful investigators gets a, an EVP or something like that, it helps it helps give them validation. And I think that that's so necessary. But at the same time, we do that for them. You know, I don't think any of us think that we're going to be the ones to finally, you know, prove that the afterlife exists. But we're there to, you know, help people and help the spirits as well. Well. And so I love that we're able to, you know, offer that to them at the same time too. Sometimes people don't want to know. They just, they just want it fixed. They just go, you know what, just show up, make it go away. And then that's when kind of the spiritual side comes in. And that's where I tend to spend most of my time is doing the, the resolves. And so we show up generally knowing absolutely nothing and um, do a psychic walkthrough of the house and then we do a reveal all together in front of the clients, um, which is always fascinating because generally us psychics haven't even talked to each other at all. And we start going over what we get. And it's really interesting to see not only do we tend to all get pretty much the same thing, but we'll pick up like each other's missing puzzle pieces to complete the story, yeah. um, which I really love. And then from there, we decide what we're going to do. And we do everything that we can to make sure that the earthbound spirits, you know, move on, everyone's happy, nothing is lingering around. I tend to take care of what we call the negative entities. That's my department, um, as well as any sort of occult mischief that might be happening. Um, and then we wish them the best of luck. <laughs> so I'm wondering, when did you first realize you had psychic abilities? And then could you just tell us a little bit about how your psychic abilities kind of operate uh, just in, in normal life and then maybe while you're investigating? Absolutely. Um, so I, I knew I was psychic pretty early on. I remember sitting my mother down when I was like seven and being like, no, I was older than that. So they arrived during something that I call my download, which was a series of migraines that I had for about two weeks straight when I was about seven-ish. Um, and all I remember from that time is laying on the ground, clutching my head, and my parents trying to feed me those like grape chewable Tylenols, trying to make it stop. Um, but after about two weeks, it stopped. And then I began to have precognitive dreams. And so it was a couple years, two, three years later that once I really kind of realized, okay, this is definitely a thing that's happening to me. It's happened more than once. Um, I sat my mom down and was like, I think I'm psychic. And at first she was like, okay. Like she's, she's always been a very open-minded kind of person. And then she's like, okay, thank you for telling me. And then the next day she comes home from work and she has a, uh, an article that she's cut out of a magazine and 
it's an article on a new show that's coming out on like NBC or something like that called Medium, all about this girl named Alison Dubois. And the article is, is about Alison Dubois and the work that she does, that she does with, you know, the police. And she gives it to me, this article, and she's like, there are other people like you and they do good things. And so you can do them too. And then that was kind of the the start of it all for me. Little did she know that about a year later, she'd realize that she was also hella psychic, but had just repressed it. So now we're all just very psychic. My sister's very psychic. Um, and I, I, I stayed mostly kind of just in the dreaming for a while until I made the fatal mistake of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm a dreamer and I don't have to deal with those dead people. I just, I wouldn't know what to do. Well, in the spirit's <laughs> like, guess what's next? And uh, dead people. And so now mostly in my adulthood, um, I am what is known as post-cognitive. Um, I see past events most clearly. I, I occasionally get future, future glimpses, but uh, mostly I see what happened in places, which is really helpful for the paranormal work. I can get a sense of if something bad happened, if someone, you know, the previous tenants were doing occult rituals, things like that. I can sort of hit rewind in that manner. Um, when it comes to the mediumship side, um, it tends to be fairly visceral for me. Um, I, I'm just now coming to understand that some of my family members are channelers, which makes a little bit more sense now. Um, but I tend to be mostly uh, clairsentient, so I, I feel them, um, and I, and based off of what I feel, I can build into the other ones, which is hard to explain because I'll be like, this person feels blonde, and they're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what does blonde feel like? And I'm like, I have no idea. It's just I know that it feels like they're female and they're blonde and like they feel like they wear glasses. And I do not know how to explain how that gets translated in my brain. But um, once I kind of get hooked into that, then the other ones come through um, as well, the, the seeing and the hearing and all of that. But mostly it stems from the, the clairsentience. So do you channel, Josh? Not on purpose. Um, recently, I, I strongly feel like you do. <laughs> well, okay, so there's this thing that's been happening. Um, I have decided recently that I am going to pray before I do my tarot cards. Okay. And so I light my little ancestor candle and I, I light, you know, my, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe candle and I, I say a prayer um, to God for assistance. And lately, the Holy Spirit has been hijacking my tarot readings. I'm looking at my cards and my cards are suddenly in Chinese for some reason, but spirit is like, you need to tell them about this one thing. And I'm like, I, I have no reason to tell them that because I don't see that in the cards here, but spirit's like, no, you need to tell them. And so I've just started going with it lately and it's been working out, but it's new. <laughs> Those new things are always a little disconcerting when they start, aren't they? Because you just uh, yeah. think, do you do you do the same thing that I do? Like, is this my ego or is this actually a real thing? Yes, exactly. I, I well, and I have a very kind of a scientific brain, so I always try and like analyze it to death and like mm -hmm. rationalize it. But it's I've I've just kind of been going with it as best I can. But it is it was very um, disconcerting the first time it happened for sure. 
Yeah, I don't know why, but I was actually this like hit me before I started talking to you to, to you today mm-hmm. that if you're not channeling yet, it's coming. So buckle up, so, buttercup. What's interesting is right before we got on this podcast too, I went on just a little walk. My my husband was like, you know what? Let's just let's just go for a walk around the block, just stretch our legs a little bit. You know, we both been working, so I'm like, okay, fine, we'll go do that. And on my walk there was on the ground in the grass, like a little box that I'm guessing used to hold a Christmas ornament and it had an angel on it. And I remember seeing it being like, that seems out of place. A little and bit. It, and it seems very sort of meant to be, you know how like when things are signs, like even if they're just kind of like trash on the ground, they yeah. sort of like glow, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, I bet that means something to someone. So I, I meant to bring it up earlier. So that might well, be. I I have a sense that, cause you know, I, I, I do the Georges and I was not ready mm-hmm. for them. I mean, I knew they were there, but I just didn't think that they were gonna be there, you know? And, right. and um, so just kind of buckle up. I think that, I think that um, you're moving into a new phase, so. Oh, I think I, you know, I've been wondering, <laughs> to be honest, and so I think this is, this is very, uh, this is very on track. I think you're uh, sending me signs from the other side at the moment. So there you go, everyone. This is what psychics sound like when we talk to each other. <laughs> it's true. Oh my God. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I've been feeling this way for a minute. So you're just confirming a lot of things for me right now. We have normal conversations too. I swear. Yeah, sometimes. Every once in a while. So. <laughs> Oh, okay, Cheryl, I'm dominating again. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's all good. I want to talk about magic a little bit more mm-hmm. since, that, since that's our topic, but um, I'm curious about certain things. Is magic real? I don't, I'm not saying it right, but. Is like, magic, are you trying to ask, does magic manifest in the way like Harry Potter claims it does? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, I wish that would be so cool. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. See, I would give anything to have one of my like, um, like potions go poof like it doesn't charmed. Oh, that awesome. yeah. right? throw something in, have it just pow. Yeah, that'd be great. So, so yeah. can pe- so can people really fly, or can they cast a spell that will result in, let's say, they become wealthy or something like that? Um, I depend. I guess it depends on where you are, um, and who you are. Things like flight. Um, I, I like to keep people away from delusions as much as possible, um, because that's something that we do run into in the community, people who are just Mm -hmm. simply not well. Um, and on the other side though, I, I do know some, you know, older Mexican individuals who are very sound mind, who have told me very, very surreal things that they've seen regarding people flying, you know, lifting up off the ground. Um, and, and coming from a Catholic background too, that is, that is something that would happen with saints um, and people that we actually have record of. Well, and so, in, Buddhist, in Buddhist monks as well. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I do think it's possible. I don't think someone's going to go out and get a book of Wicca and, and fly around their neighborhood. Um, but <laughs> that would be I, so cool. I, I think in certain circumstances, possibly because, and, and I think it has something to do with as well where you are, because there are certain places in the world where magic is still very much alive. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that belief and that willingness to connect in that manner from large groups of people all in one location really does change the game as far as what's possible. Yeah. I feel like maybe magic is a lot like intentional when you practice intention. Yeah. Of yeah. course it is, yeah. I want to ask you about curses. Yeah. Um, because I think that there's this huge mythology out there about curses and it's just not an area I work in. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like if somebody was going to try and put a curse on me, I just wouldn't accept it. I'd be like, no. So (laughs) tell me the truth as you understand it about that. Um, you know, honestly, I think that is a great defense, honestly, because I, I am, I am a very big believer in, you know, nothing can, you know, really get it unless we allow it on some level. Yeah. Um, and that we do have kind of sovereignty over ourselves and our energy and all that. However, I, I don't, I don't like to believe that I, that, you know, anyone is necessarily untouchable ever, especially given some of the stories that I have heard about what's possible. Now there's what's possible and then there's what's probable. Right. There's, there's the, the, the possibility and then there's what we're really going to be dealing with. And most of what we're going to be dealing with, especially in modern day America, is not going to be, you know, deep old magic from the Congo. Like, you know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of, you know, modern Wicca, neo-pagan offshoots, which aren't going to cause that same level of, of, of trouble for us. Um, but, you know, stuff does happen and that's why we just we cleanse and we protect and we just do the best we can to live our lives. And how about possession? Oh, yeah, yeah, that- I'm asking the easy questions. The easy questions. Um, so I think it does depend also on your definition of possession because we have varying levels of it. Of course, we have things like um, what we call step-ins or walk-ins from people who have you know, near-death experiences and they come back with you know, someone else along with them, um, which can be considered possession. Things also like um, spirit entity attachments. Like when, um, when I lived in Portland and I would ride on public transportation, it was very common for me to see people get onto the bus and have something else get on with them that was attached to them. Um, and I do think that that can definitely kind of fall into the category of possession. Now, as far as demons and, you know, the Catholic church and, you know, possession with a capital P, um, mm. I, I do very much believe that it can and that it does happen, especially in the work that I do um, removing negative entities. And, and I work with the more violent, darker hauntings. Um, I, I absolutely have to believe. So how does someone protect themselves against that? Or I guess maybe I would ask instead of how do you make sure it doesn't happen to you? Is there a certain set of circumstances under which it would happen or would be more likely to happen? Oh, of course. Um, So this is when we get into sort of what we call the Ouija board conundrum. Um, And it's this idea of, you know, are Ouija boards dangerous or are they any more dangerous than tarot cards or, you know, an EVP device, things like that, that we might use to contact the dead. And it's not necessarily the device itself, it's the mode of use. 
So when we come across negative entities, when we come across demons, these things, there are special rules where they are not allowed to mess with our free will because that is something that's you know been given to us by the higher powers unless we allow them and we allow them by making agreements with them now people hear that and think oh there's fine print there's documentation things like that but but we make agreements with them through our our thoughts and through our beliefs and how we sometimes even feel about a situation so for instance, if you are confronted with a ghost, you know, if something moves across your room and you think, oh my gosh, this thing can get me, then you're making an agreement with it that it's able to then, you know, have further interaction with you. Um, and so if we're looking at something like a Ouija board, the Ouija board itself, it's just a board. It's just a tool. It's not any scarier or more dangerous than anything else. But then you look at its, its method of use. Generally, Ouija boards are going to not be used by, you know, upstanding professional people who are very calm and very, you know, well put together. It's going to be like kids at a slumber party or <laughs> a bunch of drunk people on Halloween, wow. you know. And so you start with your opening question, right, which is, is there anything here that would like to interact with us? Well, that's a very broad invitation to the far reaches of everywhere um, for anything to respond, right? You know, is, is there anyone here who wants to talk with us? That's a very big open door. And then we get into um, asking them to move the pointer, which at the very least is giving them permission or making agreement with them that they are allowed to mess with things within our vicinity. And depending on who you ask how a Ouija board works, some people will say, well, the spirit moves the pointer and other people will say, it's something that like the spirit sort of exerts a certain amount of control and they make you move the pointer, you know, like it's kind of like automatic writing or like a mild form of channeling, at which point you are agreeing that this force is allowed to perform a partial possession on you. If that is your understanding of how a Ouija board works. So and then you add into the fact that if this is being played at like a slumber party or on Halloween night or something like that there's usually a lot of fear surrounding it. There's like the one girl in the corner of the slumber party who did not sign up for this and they brought out the Ouija board and she's terrified that energy of fear, it draws in. It's, it's like chumming the waters for these entities that feed off of fear. So it's not necessarily the fact that a Ouija board is dangerous. It's the method and kind of the culture around Ouija boards that tends to make it a bit of an issue. That's fair. So that leads to another question. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that, that kind of urban legend teenage game, Bloody Mary. So uh, I am a teenager who has enough fear and truly wants to summon something to like get my fear on. Am I opening myself up by standing in front of the mirror and saying Bloody Mary three times? Oh, totally. Absolutely. You're inviting something in through a mirror, no less, which is a very kind of portal like object no oh yeah matter, i cleanse know. my mirrors man oh yeah i i cleanse my mirrors on the regular <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and so you're just calling in and all that fear too is just it's they love it it's what they feed on it's like a buffet hmm i've only ever been one place where i was really like i do not like that mirror and 
it was in like an investigation or something. And there was just something about this mirror to the point that, and I never do this because I, I, you know, I don't get scared. Nothing really scares me because I've been doing this like you, I've been doing it for a long, long time. Oh yeah. And so, but in, I was in this one place and I covered that thing up because I just, every time I walked past the mirror, I was just like, <laughs> so somebody did something with that mirror. I'll hang my rosaries on them. I'll just be like, Ooh, Jesus, fix it. Uh, <laughs> that's you know what that's what i need guys. i need jesus yeah you need jesus sometimes you need jesus that's i right. need jesus oh okay so we just have a couple of minutes left cheryl do you have any other questions before we before we do the uh intention stuff well i'm curious if i want to know more about this topic where would i go his book oh yeah, yeah. what about your book oh yeah <laughs> My book, my book. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't know, my book is titled American Brujeria and it is coming out May 1st of this year. It is exactly one month from today and I'm very excited for it. Oh, I'm so next, excited for you. Next week, I should be getting the actual physical copies of it and I'm very excited. Um, but it is available for pre-order now. It is on Amazon and bookshop.org and pretty much everywhere um, you find books. You can order it from your local occult bookstore as well. Um, so definitely do that. Um, my name is J. Allen Cross, and you can find me, of course, on the Instagram at Oregon Woodwitch. Cool. Awesome. All right. So the last thing that we will do is that we ask all of our guests to just share with us. And I'm sorry, I probably didn't tell you this when I invited you to be on the show. <laughs> Normally I warn people and apparently I forgot. And so I'm putting you on the spot. So I'll just apologize right now. <laughs> Um, but we ask our guests to share one intentional practice that they engage in that our listeners might be able to incorporate into their lives. Um, not to get churchy on your podcast, but prayer. I think people discount prayer a lot. It's simple. It's easy. I do it while I'm doing the dishes, while I'm unloading the dishwasher. Say a prayer. I like it very yeah. much and do you just as a follow-up um yeah. with the prayer do you ask do you express gratitude do you state it as if you've already had it what is the most effective way for someone to pray i like to start by giving thanks and gratitude um just because i feel like that's not only it feels very good to have things to be thankful for. And at the same time too, it kind of helps us frame our brain to look at good things, which I think is important. And then I kind of end by just asking that good things continue to happen. And just kind of reaffirming that something somewhere is looking out for us. I like it very much. Well, Josh, I can't believe it's been two years since I've seen you, but it makes a little bit of sense that it has. I hope that I will see you soon. I hope we get to see each other soon as well. I know, because I always enjoy seeing you and, and Josh. <laughs> so Josh and Josh, Josh's husband's name is Josh as well. <laughs> the Joshes. Um, so Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I It's, it's really good to talk to you. I can't believe I've gone this long without it. So. <laughs> it's great to talk to you both. I hope you guys have a great evening. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Intention is Everything. As always, we have no idea who our next guest will be. So we'll be just as surprised as you are. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>